it has to be part of your thing. And then, you know, you, you do it like this and then you break the mold. Welcome to the Creative Studio. This is the podcast where we conduct experiments with podcasting. My name is Joshua Rivers, and this is a production of Podcast Guy Media, LLC. Biographic. An engaging story. Plus emotion or moments of reflection. And it's not all just documentaries because we get sucked into the story. But in a narrative podcast, you explore the answer and you find it by weaving through a set of occurrences. It's a change of direction. Add in extra information or background or thought process to what was already recorded. Throughout season four, we have been covering narrative style podcasting. This includes journalistic or documentary styles as well. Now, the first 10 episodes of the season covers this topically as we step through the process of creating a narrative podcast. I interviewed 11 podcasters for this series, and in each episode, you'll hear from several of each of them. Now, I'm releasing the full interviews that I did with each of these guests. I'm going to do this for several reasons. First of all, there were several things that were brought up in the conversations that didn't make the final cut. It was still good information, it just wasn't as pertinent to the topic at hand, or maybe it was talked about by other guests. Secondly, you get to hear what the conversation was like before I cut all the audio up for the original series. Corey Coates joins us today. Corey is the co-host of the Podcast Producer Podcast with Jessica Rhodes. He is also the founder of Podfly Productions, helping to create some awesome podcasts for a lot of people. He helps to look at both strategic and tactical things as we look at creating narrative style podcasts. And so the first thing I was wanting to start with is for someone that is thinking about doing some sort of narrative format, what would be a situation or a reason why they should do this type of format? For us, and I can't speak for everyone because it's hard to say what I think anyone should do. But my experience has shown me that you have to make an early decision as to who is going to be the one actually telling the story. And it's interesting, as we do narrative podcasting, we try and imagine that as the narrator, we're the one quote unquote telling it. But the reality is a really good narrative podcast is one where the story is being told by the participants. The story almost unfolds on its own. And the narrator is kind of explaining to you as you go along what's really happening here. Now there's clearly a choice to guide the story in a certain direction, to edit it a certain way that it's presented, you know, to be the story that you might want to tell. But I think that's really the first question you need to ask yourself is who's going to be responsible for ultimately telling the story before I even think about why I want to do it. Okay. Now what would be some, some reason that someone would not or quote unquote should not do narrative style. Maybe they should go with more of a, uh, a regular interview style or maybe even a solo or a co-host type situation. What, what would stop someone from doing a narrative? Well, you know, a lot of people are kind of glomming onto the method of doing it this way, largely because of the popularity of some narrative podcasts. And look, they sound beautiful. You listen to Radio Lab or Serial or, or many of these shows, and they're just gorgeous. They're fun to listen to. It's basically like putting on an album every week. So I understand how attractive and sexy that can be. Um, but doing it just because a lot of the most popular shows or the ones that you really enjoy are in that fashion doesn't necessarily mean that that's what you should do. I mean, look, if you're trying to write a fictional tale, doing it in a documentary sense doesn't make any sense. If you're a filmmaker, 
you know, similarly choosing the right audio format for your medium or for your content, I think is critical. So look, if I'm trying to bring information, just raw, pure information from individuals to individuals, then maybe the interview format's the way to go. But if I'm trying to demonstrate, for example, as we did in our podcast series, when we did the podcast producers, that there's a lot of experts, there's a lot of information, there's a lot of different ways that you can look at the exact same thing, then maybe the narrative way of going is, is, is better for you. But ultimately for me, I think it comes down to deciding, again, the same thing, who's telling the story and what is the story being told, and then choosing the format that goes around that. Okay. So let's assume that, that someone is deciding that narrative is the best format and they're willing to put into the work and commitment and different things like that. So how would they be able to take that basic idea and be able to drive that down into more specific topics for either just that episode or for if they're maybe creating a series? What would be some some tips that you would have for drilling that down a little bit more? I think it always starts with the story arc and it's from beginning to end. What is the story that you want to tell and then deciding how I'm going to sub that, subdivide that into, into kind of chapters, if you will. So w when we approached ours, we knew we wanted to do 10 episodes because it was a time constraint. Uh, we, we could easily have done, you know, 20 or 30 episodes, but uh, we just didn't want to spend the rest of the year working on it. We wanted it to be a short project. So we started by saying 10 and created the artificial constraint there to try and squeeze the story into. And then from beginning to end, we really just brainstormed a ton of topics and threw them all at the wall to see which of these topics sticks, um, brainstorming who we might be able to talk to on some of those subjects, and then taking the ones that looked like they could really be produced into a show and organizing them in order. What's the logical way that one thing goes to the next? Um, so it sounds like it might have been more contrived, you know, like we wrote the last chapter of the book first and then wrote everything leading up to it. But in this case, the spirit of it was more, what are some of the biggest questions that we have and we hear out there in the community? And who are some of the people that might be able to provide the answers? And then how can you link one answer to the next or one question to the next answer in a way that takes someone through the journey but most importantly, leaves them where we want them to be. And that's kind of wanting more. When you get to the end of it, there's conclusions and there's ideas, but nothing's really conclusive. Okay. Now, especially in the format that you did for podcast producers, how do you go about trying to choose the right people to interview? Are there certain criteria or do you just go broad and see what you get and then just uh, see what comes out of it at the end? In our case, we very specifically targeted certain individuals that we wanted for their knowledge base and their experience in the industry. It's tough because in a lot of cases you have folks that are the most boisterous or the most vocal, uh, the most prominent in some of the you know, communities and Facebook groups that may not necessarily be the ones who are bringing the best information. They're just the ones who are screaming the loudest and they tend to get some of the most attention. We know because, you know, I've been in podcasting for 10 years. You know, Jessica had been doing this for two, three years as well. So we kind of got a sense of those who pass kind of the sniff test, if you will. You know, you can kind of tell when you talk to folks that they're either really legit, they know their stuff, and they're really making a contribution, or they're kind of jokers and they're coming in and they're just sort of marketing themselves and not really the skills that they may have acquired. So for us, it was really laser pointed. Who are the people we know within the industry? 
have one, you know, done this sort of thing before. They're happy to appear on podcasts, which makes it like easy for us to book them. And then two, really have the credibility and the authenticity that we wanted to bring forward. So that was fairly easy just because we, again, we have those contacts, we have those tips within the industry. We really got, I think, 95% of the people that we wanted to book on the show said yes right away. The 5% are just shot in the dark. Um, what do they call that? You know, the moonshot. We really want these guys to come on the show. And just schedules wouldn't allow. I mean, eight months later, they might be able to. Uh, and that wasn't going to fit our production schedule. So really, it was, it was a laser-focused approach. Can we get these people on the show? And the answer 95% of the time was yes. Whereas I know a lot of other approaches might be how many people can we try and get to capture in a really big wide net and bring them in. But I can tell you now, and Jessica can speak best to this as a guest booker, that the more specific you go towards somebody as a guest, having knowledge of who they are, their programming, their background, what have you, the more likely they are to agree because they know that you're not just coming at them with a form letter that you send to everyone. You know, When I get a request on Twitter, for example, to be on someone's show or on Facebook, it's personalized. The guy knows me. The girl knows me. So it, it's, I'm more apt to say, yeah, I'm going to give you half an hour and 45 minutes of my day because uh, this is going to be of value to both of us. Whereas if you throw out this you know, blast to everyone in the podcasting industry, hey, who wants to be on my show? Um, that really shows everyone that I don't care so much who you are. I'm going to take what I can get. And I really advise against that. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I did a little, maybe just a tinge of both. And so I went through and handpicked most of the people that I'm uh, uh, talking to. Um, but I did uh, put a post in one of the podcasting groups just to see if there was anyone that would have recommendations for people. And I got some good responses. So at least a couple people that I hadn't heard of that are prominent. And so uh, I guess the Kitchen Sisters is someone that, that does the narrative format quite a bit, some experience with NPR. And I hadn't heard of them before and so uh, that was a good resource in that case but yeah I, I can understand how how the other way could be taken for sure yeah but i mean it looks like you you really approached it in, in a holistic and healthy fashion i mean I, I just know of a lot of podcasters who do it completely the opposite end of the spectrum mm -hmm. where they basically build an email list and they blast it like a newsletter that they're doing a show who wants to get involved? And, you know, I, I, maybe I'm a little embittered by it because I had received something like that by someone who I thought would really be an interesting, you know, guy to, to, to work with. Uh, in this case, though, you know, I got that sort of email. I felt like it was personalized enough to respond and say yes, but I learned that it was really a very self-serving approach this guy had. It had less to do with, with me or what I was doing or how it might be able to serve the podcasting community and more to do how this might make him a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Every aspect of humanity you can imagine is out there in the podcasting sphere. You get the good, the bad, and the ugly every single day. But for me, a lot of those referrals like, hey, who should I talk to, really was spawned from having really good conversations and interviews for the show. Them mentioning to me, it's like, hey, by the way, you might want to talk to so-and-so because they really have a lot of great information on this and they're fun to interview. So it was word of mouth, those types of referrals, and then being able to kind of cold call those folks and see if I could get them to come in and participate. So, you know, for season two coming up with the podcast producers, we've already got a pretty extensive and sexy list of awesome guests that have been referred to us that we didn't go to in the first place. So, you know, that thing can kind of snowball on its own given the amount of time and a little bit of notoriety in the industry. 
Okay. Do you know when season two might be coming or? Yeah, we fully anticipate to run the same production schedule that we did last year, which was in January, we kind of recover from the holidays. In February, we start actually taping interviews, do the post-production in March, and then probably the same release um, first week of April. Okay, cool. All right. So, so interviewing these people, how focused should you try to be with that? Uh, maybe as you're interviewing them, you don't have everything nailed down as far as the storyline, but you have an idea. How close should you try to stick to that as you're talking with people? Well, look, we were always looking for sound bites. Ultimately, we want those one, two, three good phrases out of them in a 20, 30 minute conversation that is going to be usable. There were a couple surprising elements to it, though. We imagined that we're speaking to someone on this subject and had the bullets and the questions we wanted to go through. But we ended up going off track and talking about so many other cool things about podcasting that became gold. And Jessica and I conferred, you know, two, three times a week about how our interviews were going and continued to come back and say, I just had a great you know, talk with so-and-so for 30 minutes about advertising. But we spent maybe two-thirds of the time talking about all of these other things that fit into the other shows. So you kind of got to play a little bit loose and fast. And you can get away with it when you're doing something that's so heavily edited and produced, largely because you're not bringing that guest on as the sole guest for that one episode where you both have to be stellar. As an interviewer, you don't have to be on. You know, you don't have to ask the immaculate questions perfectly phrased. And they don't have to give you that perfect flow of answers, you know, that leads from beginning to the end of the show like you would in an interview format that you're hoping for. You know, here you can have a 30-minute conversation that stays, you know, on point but also allows it to drift off point. The hardest thing, I think, for a lot of podcasters is to uh, do the antithesis of what we're podcasting for, and that's to shut up. <laughs> you know, just don't talk. Ask a question. Allow the, the guest to speak. And then we have a tendency because of natural conversation to try and jump back in and, you know, ask a follow-up question or, or, you know, relate a story about ourselves and how we understand. The best thing to do, though, Joshua, is just like sit back and shut up. And after they finish the question, this is a great interview trick. Just pause for two seconds and you'll see almost every time that a guest will elaborate on what they just said. And the second thing that they say in the elaboration is almost 10 times more profound than the original question and the original answer that you got. So as we look at the content that you get then as you're interviewing these different people, constructing, and you're starting to put the story together, uh, there's obviously a lot of stuff that you're probably going to be leaving out. Obviously, this will probably depend on the amount of content that you get in the what the end result is that you're you're going for but there's probably going to be a lot of cutting the fat if you will to try to trim things out to be able to pull it down to i guess we could say the essential elements of the narrative so what are some things that maybe some specific tips that you can give for being able to find those little tidbits i think the hardest thing to do for any editor is to edit especially when it's their own show and that's the thing that we end up having to do as, as podcasters. We are the, the control room. We are the editor. We are the producer. We are the distributor. We are the marketing personality. We're all of these people all at the same time. And it makes it difficult for us to be objective when we're making some of these choices. Whereas it, were you to write a story and give it to an editor, and then it's going to have to go through a publisher, there's going to be some natural trimming in a way that the writer might not ultimately like, but is super digestible probably to the reader. 
Similarly with audio and podcasting, we have to find a way to put things in perspective to who that audience is going to be. We have to start editing and cutting, not from our perspective, not the things that we like, but the things that are going to be the most valuable to that listener. So when I was going through the editing process, I always had to stop and step back and ask the question, I'm not a podcaster and what of this do I get? What do I understand? What are they talking about that makes sense to me? What inside of this is just inside baseball? That's all this, you know, yammering on about, uh, you know, industry jargon and buzzwords and podcasting that nobody understands. I, I referred a lot, you know, to my mom or my girlfriend during the series because I want to be able to press play on that episode one of this podcast and have someone who has no idea about podcasting understand what the heck everyone's talking about. And then through time, through osmosis and through 10 episodes, have a real understanding of what this is to the best of you know, their abilities and at least to the extent that we think that we understand it, even knowing that we really don't. And I think that's the key is that when we're trimming fat, ask yourself the question constantly because you know you understand the answer. You know you understand the value of each of these phrases and sentences, but would everyone? And if the answer is, yeah, most people wouldn't understand what that is, cut it. It's no good. You don't need it. I like that. Obviously, there's, especially for a detailed-oriented person, they're going to be looking at every aspect of the whole narrative, every every little detail. But what are some strategic elements that need to be in in the narrative that will maybe, I guess, if we look at like the 80-20 rule, what, what is the, uh, the things that make the biggest impact on being able to have that, that great narrative? Here's the thing is that when I was listening or when I was interviewing people, and I know Jessica did something very similar, this is a really great way to save yourself a lot of time down the road. You know when you're listening to your interviewee as they're speaking, those kind of aha moments, those like, wow, that's gold. That was great. I can't believe you said that because you feel it. You're in that moment. You experience the energy of the conversation and you know what elevates you, what grabs your attention, especially if you're not doing something like checking Facebook while you're interviewing someone, <laughs> fully focused on that individual, then you get caught up in it and you can realize that some of the things that he or she says at certain times is really, really good. That's a time to do a timestamp. Just, you know, whatever your DAW is, just hit M, mark it. Because what just happened there is something that was an emotional moment for you that could then translate to be an emotional moment for the listener. What you're able to do with that then is take some of those emotional markers out of there and just start putting them into bins and start painting with broad strokes. Take all of those emotional components and start arranging them around. After having painted with such broad brush strokes, you then only have to go out and seek those five, 10% snippets of audio that are gonna link things together. And then ultimately, Joshua, this is really the secret. This is really the trick is you've created the entire story to the best of your ability based on only components as provided by your guests. Now, everything in between that can't be linked and doesn't make sense, that's your turn. That's where the narrator jumps in and gets people from point A to point B to point C. I like that. Now, this is one question I, I know one answer at least that you're going to give because it's what you're currently doing. But after you get your narrative put together, you have all these pieces of audio on the floor in your cutting room. What are some things that that could be done with those pieces to possibly reuse? I mean, repurposing audio is a great way to go. We obviously took full advantage of the fact that we did, and this was completely intentional, 20 to 30 minute interviews with podcasters for the podcast producers. 
And the reasoning behind it was, number one, I don't want to take up any more than 30 minutes of someone's time just to respect them. And two, I guess what? Got a weekly 30-minute long-form podcast uh, with somebody within the industry so that having finished producing the entire 10-part series you know, and uh, doing all the marketing necessary to kind of get it out there in front of people for the next month or two, it meant now I have basically a bin of all of these incredible interviews I can start pulling from and do a front and end on it. They'll put a little bit of music on it and release it as a full episode and we're calling them raw and uncut. And people are loving them, you know, it's uh, keeping our subscribers happy because they're now getting weekly podcasting content. The diehard fans of the series are super happy because they love some of the behind the scenes stuff. Uh, and even the editors are really getting off on this as well because it's a chance to see things from the raw perspective before it ends up in a polished product. So that's one way you can go is that, you know, I, I really advise if you're doing something that's going to be um, heavily edited, don't not record it though, as if you were doing a long form podcast. You know, I mentioned trying to go a little bit loose and fast with your bullets and you can hear in the raw and uncut interviews that we are, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they can't be released as raw and uncut. That's the beauty of podcasting is there's no rules. And if there are any, you're making them up for yourself and uh, you can break them yourself if you want to. So take that raw interview and, uh, and cut it up a little bit, even if you want to, and just give somebody a 15 minute awesome you know, motivational podcast that can come out once a week. It's, it's, there's a million opportunities to use that content and not just, you know, throw it in an archive and discard it. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I think one of the things that, I mean, after you kind of get the basic of the narrative, you have your clips that you have. Now the trick is to be able to do the transition from one clip to the next, one part of the story to the next, and from what I'm understanding, the technical term, I guess, is tracking to try to try to do that. I'm still learning different terminology and, and jargon and stuff. And so what are some techniques that you would have for being able to make those kind of transitions? There's a couple of ways that I do it. Everyone has their own approach and every producer has their own flair. But for me, I mean, it's very, very simple. The first thing I'm always looking for is when, you know, wording can match wording. When something that one person says can naturally lead to something that someone else said. When those two things can be butt together, that for me is a win. That's a victory in, in narrative audio. Uh, I don't need music, I don't need transition, I don't need anything fancy, and I certainly don't need narration because the job's there for me. And again, spoken word, spoken word. Let the words tell the story. But in many cases, as we know, when we're editing and we're trying to construct this, Life just doesn't always fall that way because this is largely unscripted material. We have to find a way to bridge from one to the other. And in many cases, what I would find, as I mentioned earlier, was that if I can't make a bridge between two components of audio, two spoken parts, but I do want to put them close together, that's a good opportunity for a narrator to jump in. Anytime a narrator jumps in, I usually put a little bit of bed music under it. And uh, that's kind of to allow them to float, if you will, in and out of these conversations, imagining that the conversation is the sort of front-facing audio that is the meat of this show. And then from time to time, this narrator is, you know, some guy or girl in the sky that's going to pull you out of the show and talk to you for a little bit. And whenever I'm pulled out of the show, I want something musical underneath to give you that sense that I'm in a different space and then get dropped back into the show itself. In some cases, though, what I'm looking for is a bridge that's going to be some bed music in order to give the listener 
what I feel is an appropriate amount of time to think about what was just said. And it's pretty funny. I think there's a meme going around out there you know, on SoundCloud or something about how to do narrative podcasts. And they do it beautifully where they have someone say something very compelling and then you're struck by a piece of audio that holds you and hangs you while you think for as long as we want you to think. And then the narrator comes back in. Well, there's something to be said for that because it does create that beautiful timing and it does give the, the listener the opportunity to not be bombarded constantly with information. This is one of the things that happens with some of the interview podcasts, especially the business-oriented ones, is as great as they are, it requires quite a lot of focus to get through 30 minutes of people just giving you constant information. Whereas a good narrative podcast is blending the guests and responses with the narration and the music in a way that gives you the ups and the downs and the highs and the lows and takes you through a ride. So some of the techniques and ways of doing it is easier for me, I think, because I have a musical background and composition, especially. So you kind of bring some of those elements to the fore. But for, I think, a lot of people who are doing it, if the, the two tricks that I can give right now are if you can get two pieces of audio to stitch together naturally without having to do any tricks, do that first. And if you have to get some narration in there, put a little space, put a little music, give the narration, and then go back into the content. Very nice. Now, I know we're pushing our uh, 30 minutes, but I was wondering if you had any resources that you could mention, maybe some that help you or have helped you when it comes to narrative podcasting. Not necessarily, because there's so much out there, it's overwhelming. You, you can get locked into this research phase, and we have to be really careful that we're not trying to produce something that's contrived. We have to allow something to be what it's going to be. And what I mean by that is just start with the raw interviews. I, you know, I'm a proponent of the, really the art of non-doing. Just let the interviews flow. Just start getting the content in. In the meantime, start the hunt for your music. I, I'm, again, I'm a proponent of trying to find an individual composer because he or she's going to have something that's thematic that's going to work for the entire series as opposed to trying to kludge together a bunch of royalty-free audio that you find on the internet. Uh, it's been my experience that it's just as uh, you know, cheap or as expensive to find a very good composer and, and work something out with him or her to get their content in for you um, to use freely on that show. So that's really where I'm at with it is just get the interviews going and then start you know working with some different composers and start listening to their music and see if it's going to be a good fit. And then from there, let's see what happens because you know as Jessica and I get ready for season two, that's all we're doing, honestly, is our pre-production is let's spitball some ideas, let's get some interviews down, and uh, let's talk to a couple different composers and see if we can get some good music. And then really what we've done is we've, gotten, we've gone to the hardware store and we said, this is all of the nails and all the wood and all the glue and all the paint that we've got. That's it. We're not going back to the hardware store. We have to build a house out of this somehow, some way. And that, I think, is one of the most powerful things that we need to learn how to do is there are too many resources available. There are too many tips, there's too many tricks, there's too many tutorials, there's too many YouTube videos, there's too many lessons and courses and webinars. You know what? I think sometimes it's important to say, you've got four colors and you've got two brushes and one canvas in 30 minutes, go. And you're gonna do something that's gonna be unique, powerful, interesting, and cool, or crappy and terrible, who knows? 
but having 50 paints and 100 brushes and 20 canvases is not going to make you better. It's going to make you worse because the reality is, is that we are not good when we have too many choices. We're way better when we're constrained and we have too few. Thank you for listening to the Creative Studio Podcast. I hope that you've enjoyed listening to these interviews. If you haven't already listened to the full 10-part series on narrative podcasting, I encourage you to do so, so that will help you to be able to get a grasp on creating a narrative podcast from a topical standpoint. I also have detailed show notes available on the website at creativestudio.academy. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the podcast in your favorite podcast player and share this with someone you think would benefit from the content. I look forward to sharing more about podcasting experiments. This is a production of Podcast Guy Media, LLC. He is also the founder of Podkai, uh, Podkai?